Good morning, folks. I want to welcome you to the adult Sunday school time here at the Kerwinsville Christian Church. And we are going to be continuing right along in our study of the Old Testament. We've been doing a survey through the Old Testament, and we're up to the books of First and Second Kings, Second Chronicles. We've entitled this section, Israel's Kings and Prophets. And today, we're just going to focus on one chapter in 1 Kings, chapter 22, verses 1 to 40, as well as 2 Chronicles, chapter 18, verse 1, through chapter 19, verse 1. And we're going to look at Ahab's death. Now, we've spent three weeks before this looking at Ahab, his wickedness, and his interactions with the prophet Elijah. I told you last week we're going to be looking at Elijah a little bit more as we get into 2 Kings. But what I want you to notice today is we're going to see the fulfillment of the prophecy concerning Ahab's death. Now, some of you might be wondering, well, wait a minute, George. You know, I've been following along. You're skipping over 2 Chronicles chapter 17. And yes, I am, because 2 Chronicles chapter 17 is going into details of King Jehoshaphat which we will look at next week when we look, as we progress along in 1 Kings, we'll look at what it says about King, of, King Jehoshaphat from the southern kingdom. So let's look at it today. We're going to look at Ahab's death. We're going to see some interesting things that are happening and how God works things out. And uh, I hope you can follow along with me as we are going along. Now, again, we're not going to read the scripture unless we need to pay attention to some particular things that the text is saying, which we will in a couple of places today. So let's take a look at this. So we're going to really take a look, first of all, at an alliance that takes place between the northern and southern kingdoms, which is very interesting because really up until this point, uh, they've been fighting against each other since the time of Rehoboam, since the time the kingdom divided there have been conflicts between the southern and northern kingdom, but we're going to see that there is an alliance that takes place today. So let's begin. We're going to start off with the first four verses of chapter 22 in 1 Kings, as well as chapter 18, verses 1 to 3 of 2 Chronicles. So what we see is that in the, in the third year of peace between Israel and Syria... Jehoshaphat visited Ahab. So it's going to give you a time reference here. So it's saying in the third year of peace. What peace? Well, remember last week we saw that Ahab had the opportunity to basically destroy the Syrians and kill Ben-Hadad. But because Ben-Hadad basically humbled himself before Ahab, Ahab basically spared him and a treaty was signed where Israel got back some cities that were taken by Syria prior, and Israel got the opportunity to set up marketplaces in Damascus. So in the third year of that peace, Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, or king of the southern kingdom, visits Ahab in the north. He comes to Samaria. Now Ahab told Jehoshaphat, that Ramoth-Gilead is theirs, but they hesitate to take it back. So Ramoth-Gilead, again, part a city located in the northern kingdom, 
taken by the Syrians. It really belongs to Israel, but they've hesitated to take it back. They've hesitated to take the military action to take it back from the Syrians. Now Ahab asked if Jehoshaphat would go with him to take back Ramoth Gilead. So he's basically saying, hey, will you go along with me and let's get back what rightfully belongs to Israel? That's what's happening here. So Jehoshaphat affirmed the kinship between Israel and Judah. And let's be honest, there is a kinship. They are of the children of Israel. They are part of the 12 tribes. Even though the 10 tribes in the north and the two tribes in the south, there is a bond, a, a physical bond, an ethnic bond, as well as a spiritual bond between the two kingdoms. And so Jehoshaphat is affirming that. Now, here's what happens now. So we come to verses 5 through 12 of chapter 22 in 1 Kings. If we go over to 2 Chronicles is chapter 18, verses 4 to 11. We see that the two kings are there. They're seated on their thrones. And they want to know what the will of the Lord is. Should we go and do this? This is normal. You want to inquire of God before you go to battle. That's where Jehoshaphat is. And so Ahab gathered 400 prophets together and asked if they should take Ramoth Gilead. So Ahab's got 400 prophets together. So we already know, because he's been exterminating the prophets of the Lord in the north, these are not prophets of Yahweh. These are prophets who are worshiping Baal and Ashtaroth. Who knows what they are? These are not the servants of the Lord. Now the prophets proclaimed that he should go because the Lord has delivered it to him. The Lord has delivered it to him. Now you're saying, wait a minute, George, hold on. You're saying that these guys are not the prophets of the Lord, but they're going and telling him that the Lord is with you. Now here's what I want you to understand, folks. People can say they follow God when in actuality they don't. Cultures can say they follow God when in actuality they don't. So even these prophets could say, well, we follow Yahweh. But in reality, their lifestyle, their practices are contrary to that. So they are false prophets. So you can have a nation that is seeking after and doing everything that God opposes, and yet they still believe that they're following God. So even though they're worshiping Baal and worshiping Asherah at that at despicable pole, the reality is, is they would say, oh, yes, we are following the Lord. Well, if you were following the Lord, you wouldn't be doing all this other stuff either. See, sometimes cultures can develop a concept of God that is not biblical, and that's what's happening here. And so these guys are saying, yeah, go ahead and do it, King Ahab. The Lord has delivered it to you. Now, it's interesting. There is somebody who's sitting there listening to that who is perceptive, and that is King Jehoshaphat. Because notice in the text... Jehoshaphat if asked if there was not a prophet of the Lord in Samaria to ask. 
So he's asking the questions, wait a minute now, you know, I see all these guys and they're saying to go do it because the Lord's given them. Hey, is there not a prophet of the Lord up here? See, Jehoshaphat is a godly king from the southern kingdom. He is a son of David. He is worshiping Yahweh. We're going to see a little bit more about his godly character next week. And what I want you to see is, is that, yeah, these 400 guys are doing whatever, and they're prophesying that the Lord says go and take it. That doesn't ease the mind of Jehoshaphat. He wants to know, is there a prophet of the Lord here in the northern kingdom, in Samaria, to ask? Now, this is where it gets really interesting. Well, Ahab said there was still Micaiah, who has prophesied evil, not good things about him. So Ahab says, yeah, there's this guy. His name is Micaiah. He's a prophet of the Lord, but he never says anything good about me. He only says evil things. Now, remember, in the mind of Ahab, the prophecies that he has received from the Lord's servants, and especially from Elijah, would seem evil. Like, for instance, it's not going to rain. You're going to die because of your sin. Your household is going to be wiped out. He realizes that when the prophets of the Lord speak, it's not good things. So, But to Ahab, he's reflecting they're evil things rather than good things. Now, what would be good things? Kind of like these other prophets. Yeah, you go ahead and take Ramoth Gilead. The Lord has given it to you. Now, Ahab said that he hated him. And Jehoshaphat said that the king should not say such things. So Ahab is really expressing what he feels and believes. He hates the prophets of the Lord. He hates this particular prophet, Micaiah. And Jehoshaphat's saying, look, that's really not right for you to do that. I think we should pause there for a moment. It's so easy to say, we hate somebody. Oh, I hate them or I hate this group, or I hate these people, that really is not a good thing because that really reflects more about who you are than about them. Hate is a very strong thing to say, and that's what Jehoshaphat is recognizing here with King Ahab. Look, you really shouldn't say that. So Ahab called for Micaiah to be brought quickly to them as they sat on their thrones. Now, what we're going to find out is, is Micaiah isn't just roaming around the city. He's in prison. He's been imprisoned by, by Ahab. So he knows exactly where he is. And so they're saying, hey, go get the prisoner and bring him here. Now, there was one of these 400 prophets who was there and he is mentioned by name. He is called Zedekiah. Now, just so you understand, there's a lot of people who are named Zedekiah in the Bible. A lot of godly people who are named Zedekiah. This guy is not one of them. He is a false prophet. So Zedekiah made horns of iron and said that Ahab would gore the Syrians with them. So this guy, because they're visual people, he decides he's going to have a prop. So what does he do? He casts some iron. Maybe he's made these 
horns long ago, but he said, oh, here's my chance. He gets these horns of iron and he brings them to this thing where they're prophesying for the king and say, like these horns, you're going to gore them, king. You're going to rip their heart out. You're going to kill them. You're going to destroy them. Ramoth Gilead is yours. That's what this false prophet is doing, Zedekiah. Now, Ahab's prophets told him to take Ramoth Gilead, for the Lord has given it to him. So all these 400 prophets, yeah, you go do it, king. God has given it to you. So now there's a shift. The shift now is away from the 400 prophets to Micaiah. So that brings us to verse 13 through verse 28 of 1 Kings chapter 22. 2 Chronicles lists it in chapter 18, verses 12 through 27. So the messenger told Micaiah to speak words of encouragement as the other prophets did. So when they go to the prison to get him, they say, the king wants to see you. He wants to have a word from the Lord. Hey, and by the way, all the other prophets are saying good things. Why don't you just go along with that and speak words of encouragement? The messenger's kind of telling Micaiah what to do. Hey, why don't you be a team player here? You know, you're in prison because you're saying things that the king doesn't like. Why don't you be a team player? That's what's going on here. Now, Micaiah stated that whatever the Lord says to him, he will speak to the king. Basically, he says, guys, whatever the Lord says, that's what I'm going to say. Look, we've seen other prophets do that. There will be other prophets after Micaiah that are mentioned in the scripture text. And they all say the same thing. Look, we're only going to say what the Lord has told us to say. Bottom line. Even Balaam, if you remember Balaam, Balaam said, I can only say what the Lord has said to me. This is what Micaiah is saying. So when he came to the king, Ahab asked if they should go to war against Ramath Gilead. So when he comes before the king, whatever condition he is in, Ahab says, okay, should we go to war against Ramoth Gilead? And here's what Micaiah says. Let me read it to you from the scripture. Okay, so Micaiah responds verse 15 and he came to the king and said to the king and the king said to him Micaiah shall we go to war against Ramoth Gilead or shall we refrain and he said to him now here's what Micaiah says go and prosper for the Lord will deliver it into the hand of the king now look at how, verse 16, the king responds. And so the king said to him, How many times shall I make you swear that you tell me nothing but the truth in the name of the Lord? Here's what I want you to see. Micaiah sarcastically told Ahab to go and take it because the Lord had given it to him. Remember, he was told, by the messenger, hey, make sure you speak encouraging words. So I guess when he comes, Micaiah says, oh, hey, hey, should we go and take Ramoth Gilead? Oh, you go right ahead, king. 
go right ahead and take it. The Lord has given it to you. And here's the reality. Ahab knows that he's not speaking the truth. So Ahab asked, how many times has he told him to speak only the truth in the Lord's name? He's recognizing that Micaiah isn't telling him what the Lord says. He's being sarcastic here. So then what follows is an interesting interaction. It's an interesting prophecy because not, you don't see this kind of prophecy very often in the Old Testament scriptures. But I want you to hear what Micaiah says. Micaiah then said he saw all Israel scattered on the mountains without a leader. All right, so the king wants to know. Okay, king, here's what I see. I saw all Israel scattered on the mountains without a leader. The Lord stated that these have no master and let them return to their houses in peace. So here's all Israel scattered. The Lord says they don't have a master. The implication is pretty serious when you realize the master is Ahab. And let them return to their houses in peace. Now that's significant because when Ahab would gather an army, he would gather him from the men of Israel. They would come from their homelands and their properties, their inheritance to gather to battle the enemy. And the Lord says, let them return to their houses in peace. Ahab then explained, exclaimed to Jehoshaphat that this prophet only speaks evil, not good. So immediately Ahab's response is, see, I told you, this guy only speaks evil to me. Evil. But Micaiah's not done. Micaiah, this is where it's interesting. Micaiah then said, he saw the Lord on his throne asking who will persuade Ahab to go. So Micaiah is now conveying to the king all that took place. Not just that he saw Israel scattered on the mountains without a king and that the Lord was letting them go home in peace. He's telling him exactly what's going on. So he says, look, I saw the Lord seated on his throne with all the hosts there. And he says, who will go for me and persuade Ahab to go? A spirit came forward and said that he would go and persuade Ahab to go. So in this interaction that he is seeing between the Lord asking this question, there comes this spirit, this angel, and he says, I will persuade Ahab to go. The spirit then said that he would be a lying spirit to the prophets of Ahab. Meaning he would be, a, this angel would be a lying spirit. He would cause really the prophets of Ahab to communicate a lie. Micaiah said, the Lord has put a lying spirit in these prophets. So he's referring to the 400 prophets. He's saying God has put a lying spirit in these guys. And the Lord did this because he had declared disaster against Ahab. 
And folks, we already know that. How do we know that? Remember when Elijah went to meet Ahab in Naboth's vineyard? He pronounced judgment upon Ahab and Ahab's house. Remember the prophet who, uh, when Ahab spared Ben-Hadad, who disguised himself as a wounded soldier who had lost his prisoner and asked the king what he should do. He pronounced judgment on Ahab at that time as well. So this is something that's supposed to take place. The Lord did this because he had declared disaster against Ahab. But it doesn't end there. Zedekiah, the false prophet, what does he do now? He struck Micaiah on the cheek and asked, where the spirit went from him to Micaiah. Now, what's going on here? Well, what he's saying is he comes up there, he's offended. He slaps Micaiah on the cheek. He could probably get away with it because the king's not happy with Micaiah. He's a prisoner anyhow. And says, so when did this lying spirit go from me to you, implying you're the one who's lying? You're the one who's lying, Micaiah. When did this lying spirit go from me to you? Now, here's what's interesting. What's interesting is what Micaiah then says to this prophet. And Micaiah said, verse 25, Indeed, you shall see on that day when you go into an inner chamber to hide. Okay, so Zedekiah is slapping him, saying, okay, when did this lying spirit go from us to you, meaning you're lying? Well, Micaiah answers and says to him, look, you're going to know who the lying spirit is when you're hiding in your inner bedchamber. What does that mean? Well, I know some guys like to say, well, the spirit will be there to kill him. No, I think that's not what it's saying at all. Here's what it's saying. You're going to know who was lying when they come to kill you because Ahab is dead. Whoa, what do you mean, George? Well, remember, these 400 prophets are being asked, should I go attack? They're saying, yes, you go. But we know Micaiah is saying, they're only saying that because they have been influenced by a lying spirit. Now, here's what happened in their day. If a prophet tells you to do something, you've got success, but you don't have success and you're the king, guess what you do when you come back? You kill that prophet. When Ahab dies... The implication of what Micaiah says is, is you're going to be hiding in the inner room of your house, of where you live, because you're going to be afraid for your life because they're going to come for you and kill you because you told the king a lie. And then you will know who had the lying spirit. So here's the point. Micaiah then said to Zedekiah, he will see this spirit when he is hiding in his inner chamber. You're going to know who had this spirit, this lying spirit, when they come for you and kill you. Now, Ahab commanded that Micaiah be taken back to prison and afflicted 
until he returns in peace. So Ahab, he's had enough. He basically says, all right, take him, deliver him to the government, governor of the city and throw him back in prison and you feed him the bread of affliction until I come back. Basically, he's saying, you torture him until I come back and we decide what to do with this guy. Now here is boldness. Micaiah then said, if Ahab returns, then the Lord has not spoken by him. Micaiah says, okay, fine. If Ahab comes back, then you'll know God didn't speak by me. The implication is Ahab's not coming back, folks, because if the Lord speaks through me, he's not coming back. He's going to die. And that's when Micaiah then told the people to take heed to the words that he had spoken. He basically says to the people, hey, you guys pay attention to what I'm saying. Pay attention. Because it's not going to go well. And I'm going to tell you right now, I'm going to tell you one person who did pay attention. Ahab. We're going to see that here in a couple of minutes. Now, I just want to make one point here. We never know, literally we don't know what happened to Micaiah. He is not mentioned in the scripture anymore after this. Remember, that's the issue with historical narratives. They don't tell you everything. They don't fill you in the blanks. We never saw him before this incident. We never hear about him afterwards. I looked, I tried to do research. What happened to this guy? There is no record whatsoever about what happened to this prophet of God because what he says obviously came true. But listen, isn't that what the scripture says? That there will be those who serve the Lord in whatever capacity and will never know who they are, but they will be honored for their faith. And here's what it says in Hebrews chapter 11. It says this, Women received their dead, raised to life. Others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. Still others, were, still others had trial of mockings and scourgings, yes, of chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, were tempted, were slain with the sword, they wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted and tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth. And all these, having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise. God, having provided something better for us, that they should not be made perfect, apart from us. What's that saying? Well, it's saying that these guys, like Micaiah, who we never hear about whatever, the world's not worthy of these kind of men. But they'll obtain their inheritance with us. When does that take place? When we go to be with the Lord in the rapture. When all of us will receive our new bodies. That's what is amazing here about this passage. 
So let's progress on. We're going to talk about now the, the battle at Ramoth-Gilead. We're going to see this now in verses 29 through 40 of chapter 22 in 1 Kings, as well as in 2 Chronicles chapter 18, verses 28 through verse 1 of chapter 19. So here's what happens. First of all, Ahab told Jehoshaphat that he will disguise himself as Jehoshaphat goes in his royal robes. Okay, why is he doing this? Obviously, Ahab heard. He heard, you're going to die, but he wants to take a precaution. He's going to dress like everybody else, but he wants Jehoshaphat, well, you dress in your royal robes. I'm going to disguise myself. i got to make sure. Now, while this is happening, the king of Syria told his troops to not fight anyone except the king of Israel. He basically tells his leaders, don't focus the battle on this army that's coming to us from Judah and from Israel. You focus on one task only, kill the head. Take out the head, the head being Ahab. You focus on getting Ahab. That's what they were to do. Well, on the battlefield, the Syrians thought Jehoshaphat was the king of Israel and pursued him. It only makes sense if you're on a battlefield, you're looking over the battlefield, and you're looking to identify where's the king. The king would be obviously dressed in a certain way under royal banners or whatever. And of course, you know, Ahab is disguised, so they can't find him. But they see a king, so they're assuming this has got to be the king of Israel. And they go looking and pursuing him because he has his royal robes on. They don't know at that point that it's Jehoshaphat, king of Judah. They think he is Ahab, and so they pursue him. Jehoshaphat cried out, and the Syrians turned back when they saw he was not Ahab. So they're following through on what their king said, because they could have just killed him, but the Lord didn't want him killed yet. He's got other things to do with Jehoshaphat. We'll see that later. And they turned back. They turned back when they didn't see it was Ahab. Now here is where the irony comes. When God says he's going to do something, does humanity have the ability to change it? The answer is no. So Ahab has been told, you're going to die three times now. Ahab decides, well, I'm going to disguise myself to make sure this doesn't happen. The next portion of Scripture tells us God is determined for him to die. How do we know that? Well, a Syrian archer randomly shot his bow and struck Ahab between his armor. So the text gives you the implication that in the heat of the battle, you know, archers, they're just supposed to lay volley after volley. They're not necessarily picking a target. This guy pulls back his bow, releases an arrow randomly, and that arrow finds his way to Ahab and hits him right between the armor, pierces him, and wounds him gravely. And that's what the text is saying. It's kind of telling you 
This is about what God says. That he would use some random Syrian archer just shooting and that arrow goes and hits Ahab right between the armor. Ahab called for his men to take him from the battle since he was gravely wounded, since he was wounded. Get me off the battlefield. He's in a chariot, so he's not driving the chariot himself. He probably has somebody driving it for him. Typically, they would have two or three people in a chariot. He tells them, take me off the battlefield, because he is wounded. The battle with the Syrians increased, and Ahab died in his chariot. So they took him off the battlefield. He's sitting there in his chariot, the text says. He's propped up, seeing the battlefield, and basically he bleeds to death. Obviously, the arrows struck something major, and he just bleeds out in the chariot, and he dies, fulfilling God's word. As evening approached, the cry went out for every man to return to his home. Why did that happen? Well, they no longer have a leader for the battle. The head has been chopped off. The head has been killed, has been crushed. And so they go back. They are scattered, just like Micaiah said. I saw all of Israel scattered on the mountains. But God says, let them return peacefully to their homes. So the cry went out and everyone returned to his home. They brought Ahab's body to Samaria and he was buried there. So they brought back his body to the capital city of Samaria, and he was buried there. Someone washed out Ahab's chariot, and the dogs licked up his blood, as the Lord had said. Remember, the Lord had said through Elijah that your blood, the dogs will lick it up in the place that the dogs licked up the blood of Naboth. So here it is, fulfillment of the God's word in prophecy against Ahab. His blood, as they were washing out the chariot of all the blood of Ahab, the dogs licked up his blood as the Lord had said. Now, as happens in 1 Kings, the writer tells the reader where the record of Ahab's rule was written. So it's not just recorded in Kings. It was written in another book, which we do not have, which is not a part of Scripture. And it tells you what he accomplished. When Ahab died, his son Ahaziah became king. So when he died, his son became king. Now we already know that Elijah was told because Ahab, what, repented, humbled himself, that the destruction that he prophesied to happen during Ahab's tenure will happen in his son's tenure. And that's what we're going to see as we progress further on in Kings. Now, Chronicles then also tells us that Jehoshaphat returned safely to his home in Jerusalem. So after all of this, Jehoshaphat himself returns safely to his home in Jerusalem. 
Now, that brings us to really to the end of chapter 11, folks. And next week, we're going to get right into chapter 12, and we're going to look at a couple of verses in 1 Kings, but we're going to spend most of our time looking at 2 Chronicles, in particular chapter 17 and chapter 19 and so forth, looking at the reign of King Jehoshaphat. Now we're going to shift back to the southern kingdom and see this son of David and what kind of man he was. And we're going to see that he was a godly king. Now, did he make mistakes? Yes, he made mistakes. We're going to see some of them that will have implications for the kingdom later. 